You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Uh, Tonight we're going to start in the book of Genesis. You can go ahead and turn there with me, book of Genesis. On Wednesday nights we've been working through uh, a study that I'm calling The Great Doctrines of Our Faith and Their Relevance for Our Lives. So it's a really a doctrinal study. We're looking at some theological issues and we're kind of following the, the pattern laid out by um, classic theologians. Uh, if, you, if you pick up a, a book on systematic theology, it uses uh, headings like the ones that we're using. For example, we've talked about the doctrine of revelation, how God reveals himself to us. We've talked about the doctrine of God, who, who God is and what God uh, does. And we, we're starting tonight the doctrine of humanity. Uh, we're going to talk about us a little bit. And uh, that'll be interesting in how we relate to God. And so we'll uh, deal with that. In coming weeks and months, we will discuss the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this Sunday, we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, as we continue our study, we're going to do a little bit of Holy Spirit 101 uh, in our sermon this Sunday. And uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, We'll talk in this study on Wednesday nights about the doctrine of salvation. We'll talk about the doctrine of the church. We'll talk about doctrine of last things. There's a lot of, lot of good stuff coming. But tonight, we're going to begin, not finish, we're going to begin uh, discussing the doctrine of humanity. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, mankind and uh, who we are and why we act like we do and what God's plan and purpose is for us. And there's just a lot of, a lot of important foundational things here that that we need to discuss. And so I've got really uh, six statements about the doctrine of humanity, and tonight we're going to get to two. Okay, So we'll we'll handle two of six, Uh, but uh, we're going to begin with just a very, very basic statement, but a very important statement that really drives a lot of what we believe and how we view other people. And the statement is this. We are created in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. Now we could do a a six-week study on what it means to be created in the image of God. But I want to give you kind of the the quick overview uh, uh, tonight and, and help us to maybe get our, our, our minds around what the phrase image of God means. But I want to show you where we get that phrase from the scriptures. And look what it says in Genesis chapter 1. Of course, Genesis 1 is the famous creation account, how God made the heavens and the earth. And then on the sixth day, God made man. And it says there in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image After our likeness. And in verse 27, so God created man in his own image, interesting phrase, in the image of God he created them, male and female, he created them. And so these verses speak of being created in the image of God. God made us, and he made us in a way 
that differentiates us from every other created thing. There's no other animal or entity in the created order that is described as being created in the image of God. Only humans are described as being created in the image of God. And we'll talk about what that means a little bit later. But I want you to hold, hold your place. But turn to Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. I want to even give you more insight, biblical insight into God creating us, God making us. Psalm 139, famous psalm of David, one of my favorites in God's Word. But look what it says in Psalm 139, verse 13. This is David speaking of God creating him. So this is just basic uh, doctrine of humanity. We, we are made by God, and because we're made by God in His image, there's something, there's, a, there's something special about that. And we'll see this in this text. Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts... I love this phrase. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So uh, when, when, when the knitting process happens, biologically, we call that conception. And so I believe at the moment of conception, God is knitting together a, a human life. So I believe at conception, that, 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 um, that, that is a human in the mother's womb. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Now this goes back to the image of God. I'm, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. There's something significant about God making humans. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Poetic way of speaking of God bringing him into existence. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Uh, so notice here that that David even says, when, when I was an unformed substance, I, I, I hadn't yet developed uh, what it means to look human. I was just an unformed, so I was being knit together. But still, he says, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. So David here speaks of personhood, even when he was an unformed substance in his mother's womb. When as yet there was none of them. In other words, he's saying, even when I was being knit in my mother's womb, yet a plan and purpose for my life, I hadn't even uh, I hadn't been born yet, and yet there was this plan and purpose and trajectory that you had for my life. So this is David speaking of God making him, knitting him together in his mother's womb, and how special and significant that is. Now, I just want to say just a quick word here because we'd be amiss if we didn't say something. Uh, this passage and others like it are. are are the reason that I am ardently pro-life. And I believe that life matters from the womb to the tomb. Okay, Life matters. And it, it, it is important because God is the one that brings it into existence. He's the one that knits life together. And notice, as he knits that life together, he has a plan and purpose for that life. And so that life is very special. It's, it's, it's a life made in the image of God. It has intrinsic worth and value. And, and one of the, one of the, the tragic things I, I, I think that have happened, and it kind of gets our eye off the ball a little bit, is, is this becomes a, is it becomes a political issue. And, and we start drawing political lines. And I want you to understand, before, before this is a political issue, it's a biblical issue. God has spoken very, very clearly 
on the value of human life. He knits together humans. He knitted together you, knitted me together in our mother's womb. And so every life, every life from the moment of conception until they pass away, that life has value and worth. And we should recognize that. And just to kind of drive the point home as to how special human life is, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. This is in the account of God's dealing with Noah. Genesis chapter 9. Verse 6. After God delivers Noah and his family through the flood, and he's giving him instructions about uh, being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, and he, and he gives him this very important instruction in verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, for by man shall his blood be shed. So he's talking here about the death penalty, about about someone taking the life of a, uh, another. Uh, and he says there, For God made man in his own image. So here's what the Lord is saying. Human life is so valuable, it's so important, that if someone takes the life of another, then they should die themselves. Because they are, they are, uh, they are defacing, if you will, the very image of God. Now, of course, this does not include... Um, uh, just war and self-defense and things. that The Bible speaks very clearly on these issues, and that's another sermon for another day. Uh, the Bible speaks of good guys punishing the bad guys, and, and so that's very, very clear. Romans chapter 13 uh, speaks of the authorities being an instrument in God's hand to, to punish evildoers, and so this does not apply to someone that kills someone else to defend someone else or to do the right thing or protect or uh, bring about uh, 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 a, just, um, a just cause, but if someone, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a way that is evil and uh, filled with um, malice takes the life of another person, uh, then they should be punished for that by having their life taken. That's what the Bible says. Why? Because God made man in his own image. So, I just want you to see from that that the image of God's a big deal. God makes a big deal about it in his word. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What is the image of God in humanity? How, do, how does that all play out? What, is, what does that look like? Well, the Bible doesn't give us just a clear, you know, one verse about this is what the image of God means. You kind of kind of look at different verses and kind of put it all together. Uh, but I want to give you at least... Four ideas as to what it means that you and I are made in the image of God. First of all, it speaks of personality. Personality. Proverbs 27, 19 speaks of uh, the heart of man reflecting man. In other words, our heart reflects who we are, what we are like, how we are wired. As, as water uh, reflects, our heart uh, reflects what we are like, who we are. And so this verse speaks of us all having personality. Uh, humans have a will, right? We all have a will. You're here tonight because you, you, you just made a decision to be here tonight, right? You, you, made it, you have a will, things you want to do, things you don't want to do, a will. And we all have emotions. 
Uh, we all feel different ways about different things, and, and, and we all experience those emotions. And we make decisions in concert with our will and with our emotions. That, that's personality. That's who we are. I mean, if you try to describe me, if you try to describe my personality, you're describing the decisions I make based upon my will and my emotions. And every one of us has a personality. And that is a, a part of being image bearers. Because God has personality. He's not some, some impersonal force of, you know, force of, of power floating through the universe. God has uh, will and he has emotions and he has a plan and a purpose and things that he does in concert with his perfect will and his perfect emotions. And so the idea of personality separates us from every other created thing. The fact that we have this will and these emotions. Let me read you this quote from Wayne Grudem, a systematic theologian. He writes, In the area of emotions, our likeness to God is seen in a large difference in degree and complexity of emotions. Now, he makes this point because you may be thinking here, uh, we're talking about man being the image of God, and that, that making us different than every other created thing. So you may say, well, how does man being created in the image of God make us different than the animals? Because you might make the case, well, animals have Personality. You may you may be thinking about your dog or your cat or or you know your horse or whatever you know animals. So so what's the difference there? And and here's what Grudem says. Of course, animals do show emotions. Anyone who has owned a dog can remember evident evident expressions of joy, sadness, fear of punishment when it's done wrong, anger if another animal invades its turf, contentment, affection, for example. But listen to this. But in the complexity of emotions that we experience, once again, we are far different than the rest of creation. And he gives an example. After watching my son's baseball game, I can simultaneously feel sad that his team lost, happy that he played well, proud that he was a good sport, thankful to God for giving me a son and giving me the joy of watching him grow up, joyful because of the song of praise that has been echoing in my mind all afternoon, and anxious because we are going to be late for dinner. He's saying, all at once, I'm experiencing all those emotions. Now, our animals don't experience emotions like that. That's a, that is a, 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 um, a result of being made in the image of God. Grudem says, it is very doubtful that an animal experiences anything approaching the com this complexity of emotional feeling. So, being that we are image bearers, image bearers of God... Uh, we reflect personality. Just like God has personality, we have personality, will and emotions uh, that, um, that drive our decision-making and the type of person that we are. But secondly, this means that humans have creativity. Creativity. Over in Exodus 35, you can read it when you have an opportunity. It speaks of God giving a couple of craftsmen uh, in the nation of Israel special creative um, skill to be able to make the components of the tabernacle, and it's a really fascinating passage. But the fact that that humanity can create is a reflection of the image of God. God 
is a creator, right? We're here because God created this universe for us to live in. He created this earth that's tilted on the axis. axis just right, and it's just the exact distance from the sun to sustain human life. And he put us on this spinning planet, and he made us and placed us here, and, and God created all of that. God came up with all of that. God is a creative God. And as image bearers, one of the things we do as humans is we create, right? I, I've never seen a horse painting a picture, right? Or um, a pride of lions putting on a, a Broadway production. Why? Because we, as image bearers, have that, that innate drive to create. And because of that common grace that, that God has given us the capacity to create, we see people, even unbelievers, doing remarkable things in our world. I mean, the technology that we have to even get to outer space, that is, that is a reflection of the image of God. We're image bearers. Humanity, we, we bear the image of God and, and, and create and can learn and, and, and develop technologies and move forward. That's all because we are made in the image of God. I watched this documentary, I think I mentioned it in a sermon recently, but I watched this documentary about about the rescue of the Thai soccer team. It's a group of young uh, boys in Thailand who got trapped in a cave during a flood. And uh, the, 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 they had to go miles underwater into the cave to even find this group. And there were special forces involved. Some folks from Herbert were involved in that, by the way. Some, some, uh, some Air Force special forces were involved in the, kind of the first attempts to reach these uh, young men and and uh, there were cave divers from all over the world that were there. Thai special forces were there and, and, and Thai seals. And they were, they were working to try to get these boys out. And it's just a remarkable story. It's one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen, how they conceived of a way to get them out. In fact, when they made it to this little patch of, of, of cave where the boys were up on a piece of rock and out of the water, they had to... Uh, give them anesthesia, put a mask on their face that would push the oxygen into their, their nose and mouth, and then take them underwater one at a time and take them miles in murky darkness, miles through these very tight caves to get them out to safety. And what was so remarkable about that is about halfway through the journey out, the kids were starting to wake up. And underwater, they'd have to take out a syringe and give them some more anesthesia. It was, a, it was, it was amazing. And, and the, the, the links the people went to, the, the intelligence involved in that, the plan that came together, the fact that they rescued these boys, it was creativity on display. The reason, the reason those boys were rescued from that, that cave is because of the image of God in humanity. They had the capacity to even develop a plan like that. And so it's really quite fascinating. So, so creativity is, a, uh, is a, a part of being image bearers. My, my daughter was listening to this song the other day. It's a song from a, a Disney movie, and it's really, really popular right now. And, uh, and she was playing, and I was listening to it. And, and uh, I, I know who wrote it. The one who wrote it is not a believer in Christ. I, I know the person's name. But I was listening to the song, and I was just amazed at how good the song was. 
the, the, the lyrics and the, the melody and the music and the humor. And I was, like, I was like, the person who wrote this was very, very talented. You know why? They're image bearers. They're made in the image of God. And they are showing that creativity which starts in the heart and minds of God himself. So, creativity. Third, it means spirituality. Spirituality. Hebrews 11.6 speaks of believing that God exists and drawing near to him. As, as humans, we have the capacity to relate to God. That's what spirituality means. We have the capacity to relate to God. In fact, it says over in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has put in the heart of humans eternity. He's put eternity in our hearts. In other words, we... we we know, it's, it's, it's built into us, we know that there's something beyond this. That's why if you go anywhere in the world, you'll find groups of people with some type of religion. Because they're trying to figure out how to connect with what's beyond. Now they may not have the right answers, they may not know about Jesus, that's why we do missions. But, but anywhere you go, people are practicing religion. They're trying to figure out what's beyond, because God has put eternity in their hearts. We know that there's something about us, this spirituality that desires to connect with the divine, right? That's what separates humanity from, from the animal world, is that we, we are made with the capacity to have a relationship with God. We can know him, we can place our faith in him, we can draw near to him, he will reciprocate. The Bible says James uh, 4, if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. We can have a relationship with him, why? Because we're made in the image of God. We have that spirituality component. And then fourth, this means that humans have immortality. Immortality. Now when I speak of immortality here, I, I do not mean that humans don't face death. Because the Bible is very clear if Jesus tarries, we will all die. The Bible is very clear. One out of one die. It all goes back to the fall of Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world. Sin corrupts. And because of that, we live in a fallen world, a fallen creation. And our bodies are corrupting. And we will die. But guess what? When we die, we listen, we do not cease to exist. Let me say it again. When we die... We do not cease to exist. How do we know that? Hebrews 9.27 it says, It is appointed for a man to die. And after this comes judgment. So there's something on the other side of death. Judgment. And we know that judgment to be uh, where humanity will be assigned eternity. And, and where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. If people know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, then when they die, they'll stand before God and he will welcome them into heaven. In fact, it says over in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body for the Christian is to be what? Present with the Lord, right? For the unbeliever, if they die and do not receive Christ their Lord and Savior, they will be assigned eternity in separation from God in that awful place called Hell. The Bible is very, very clear on that. But notice that for the believer and the unbeliever, when we die, that's not the end. We don't cease to exist. We continue on. 
Now, we don't continue on immediately in physical form. We'll talk about this in a moment. It's our immaterial being that continues on, our, our soul, if you will. Uh, but one day, those who know Christ, they get bodies. And they get to live in those new glorified bodies forever. But uh, like God is eternal and will not have an end, we are created in His image and we will not have an end. We will exist forever in one of two places. Uh, my last church, we had a, uh, a preschool director named Patty, and she was she spent, I mean, decades in preschool ministry, and she was she was so gifted and and, and so sweet, and and uh, she would go visit uh, couples uh, that had a baby, and she go she tried to catch them in the hospital, and she'd go in and take them a little gift or something. And, uh, and she, if she could, if it was, you know, appropriate, she would hold the baby. And, and she would say something very sobering to the parents. She would say, you have a son or daughter whose soul is going to exist forever. Forever. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? And so when we think about our kids and our grandkids, they, they have a soul that will live forever. They're made in the image of God. And so we want to make sure they know Jesus so their soul will go to heaven, right? And they'll spend eternity with him. And so immortality. Death is not the end. Death for humans is a transition into eternity. It's a doorway into our eternal destiny. And so what does it mean that, that humans are made in the image of God? It means we have personality, creativity, spirituality, immortality. There's more, but I think that's a good kind of summary of what it means to be made in the image of God. There's something unique about humanity in the way that God made us, in the way that God endowed us with his image that separates us from every other created thing on the face of this earth. Got it? All right, now... Number two, we'll do this very quickly and then we'll pray. We are created not only in the image of God, but we are created with physical and spiritual characteristics. Physical and spiritual characteristics. Look what it says over in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is speaking of God creating Adam and Eve. The first humans. And by the way, and I just want you to hear your pastor say this. I think it just you just need to hear me say this. I believe that Adam and Eve were literally the first two humans on the earth. God made Adam and God made Eve just like he said. He made Adam first and he uh, created uh, Eve from the, from the man's side, from his rib, and made her as a helpmate. And I believe there was a literal, real Adam and Eve walking on this earth as the first created humans. I just believe what the Bible says. So I just want you to hear me say that. Just want you to hear me say that. Because there are some out there who call themselves Bible teachers that will try to explain that away. Uh, but uh, I, I believe it. And by the way, Jesus talked about a real literal Adam. So if Jesus believed in a literal Adam, sign me up to believe like Jesus did. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, all right. So we are created with physical and spiritual characteristics. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now that word creature is the word nephesh, or soul. And so, notice there's a body here made out of dust, a physical component to Adam, but then there's this breath of God which gives him a spiritual component, a a, a nephesh, a soul, an, an immaterial part. So if you look there in your notes, God creates our material bodies and endues them with a living soul. God creates our living material bodies and endues them with a living soul. So we're looking at each other tonight, right? And I'm seeing physical bodies. But I'm also not seeing your soul, but your soul is real. That's why your body has life right now. Your soul is inhabiting your body. Now, there's going to come a time if Jesus tarries that all of us will breathe our last and our soul will leave our body and go into the presence of Jesus if we know Jesus as our Savior. But right now, your soul and body are together. But you just know this about yourself. You have a a material part and an immaterial part. All right? And, And all of it's connected in some way. But, uh, but we need to understand this reality. Now, there, there are a lot of roads we could go down right now to discuss this. There are, um, there are I don't even want to get into it. There, there are dichotomists that believe that there's simply two parts to man. There's the, there's the physical and the, the, the soul and spirit. And they, they say soul and spirit are used interchangeably. There are also people that are trichotomists that believe that man is body and soul and spirit, and they try to make a differentiation between soul and spirit, and there are a lot of long, complicated articles about that if you want to read those. Uh, and, and there are verses where it seems like soul and spirit are being used interchangeably. There are other passages where it seems like there's a differentiation between soul and spirit. Uh, so don't get all caught up in that. You know, I, I, I'm not going to meet you at the door and say, okay, dichotomous or trichotomous, what are you? Let me know before you leave, okay? Um, I'm not going to mark in our membership roles what you are, you know, a D or a T beside your name, because uh, I'm still trying to figure all that out. But, uh, but just know this, boil it all down, man has a material and immaterial part, okay? And, and that's the, the point that we need to make. But I have given you a chart. If you look uh, there in your notes, everybody see the chart? Key terms for biblical anthropology. Everybody see that? Everybody got it? And the reason I gave you this, it comes from John Hammett in the book, The Doctrines of the Church, a great, great theological book. And I saw the chart, and I wanted you to see this because it does give you a kind of a brief description of different parts of humanity that are mentioned in the Bible and just help you to kind of think about what those mean when you see them in scriptural context. So the first is body, the Hebrew word's basar, the Greek word is soma, and uh, the Theological significance is it's our, our physical form. You know, it's our hair, it's our eyes, it's our skin, it's our muscles, it's our heart, it's our lung, it's our body. We, it's the physical part. So the, body, body, the, the Bible speaks of our physical being. And then the, the Bible uses the word flesh. Uh, the Greek word is sarx there. And this is the part of us that has that capacity for weakness, sin, and rebellion. The Bible speaks of our flesh as our sin nature. Uh, and we all have it. We all have a sin nature because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We were born with a sin nature, and that's, that's why we sin. We have a sin nature, and so that's our flesh. And the Bible uses our flesh as a part of who we are, and it's that, it's that inner compulsion to rebel against 
uh, God. But then the Bible speaks of a soul, nephesh, uh, as used in Genesis 2-7, or suke in the Greek language. It speaks of the seed of life or being the person. So, uh, again, if, uh, well, let me, my mother, I'm talking about my mom, I've been thinking my mom a lot today, talking about eternity and heaven and all of that. And I preached about heaven Sunday. And so, uh, my mom, she passed away in uh, 2011. And, and uh, I, we drove down. She was, she'd taken a turn for the worse. She was going through cancer treatments and uh, going through, you know, a, just a lot and getting weaker and weaker and and we just became clear she was not going to make it and so we jumped in the van in Mississippi and drove down and met my dad and my brother there in Perry Florida the hospital and we uh, we walked in and and her body was just just you know riddled with cancer and she was weak and frail and, uh, and, and but she was there she was there I was there with my mom and we 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 loved on her and and we prayed for her, and we gathered around her bed, and she was surrounded by loved ones. And there was a moment, and, it, and, and, and it's, hard to, it's hard to even kind of understand. There was a moment when she was no longer there. She was there, and the next moment she wasn't there anymore. What happened? Her soul, her nephesh, the seed of life, left her body and went directly into the presence of Jesus. Everybody got that? So that's her immaterial, it was her immaterial part, but it was, it was her. It was what made her alive, uh, her soul. And then, and then spirit. Greek, the Hebrews ruach, uh, which also can be translated as wind. Uh, the Greek word is pneuma, and it speaks of the capacity of, uh, uh, for a relationship with God. We talked about that already. Ready, we're spiritual beings. We can know God, relate to God because we're made in his image. So we all have a spirit. And again, some people say soul and spirit go together. Some people say they're, they're to be separated. Uh, and if you want to study that, you can do that. But uh, just know that, that that's how that word seems to be used in Scripture. And then the, the, the Bible speaks of man's heart uh, quite a bit. Uh, lev in the Hebrew, cardia, where we get the word cardiology from in the Greek language. Uh, the, the word heart usually speaks of man's uh, uh, the wholeness of who a man is. The Kind of the seed of his of his will and emotions and personality. It's just it's the, the deepest level of existence. It's, it's who a person is. The Bible uses the word heart. Uh, kind of like personality, which we talked about a little bit earlier. And then the Bible speaks of our mind, which is our faculty of understanding, discernment, and judgment. And then the Bible speaks of a conscience uh, in, in Scripture. Synodesis in the Greek language, which is our, our moral guide. But notice in parentheses there it says fallible moral guide because our conscience has been marred by the fall. So, so I believe every human, based upon Romans 2.15, every human has been given a conscience. We all have this kind of sense of right and wrong and fairness. Uh, but it's marred. We don't always get it right according to God's word because it's been marred by the fall. But we all have this sense of, of conscience. In other words, what you say is wrong, I may call right. and What you say right, I may call wrong. We have different views on that. Uh, because not everybody's operating off the standard of the Bible, but everybody has this sense of conscience. Even people that say, I don't believe in God. I've, I think I've shared this illustration before. Someone says, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there is a God. Well, if I went and stole their car, they'd say, you shouldn't do that. Right? Why? Conscience. They know that's not right. I mean, if we're really just a bunch of random you know, neurons and protons bouncing around, and we're all 
products of biological function, then if I stole your car, it shouldn't even matter, should it? I just was stronger than you. I, you know, survival of the fittest, and I took your car. You know, that's, that's biology tough, right? But even the atheist would say, no, 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 you sh- that's not right. That's wrong. Why? We all have a conscience. It's, it's fallible, but we do have this kind of innate sense of right and wrong being made in the image of God. So that's just a little helpful chart. If you're reading through your Bible and you come across one of these words, just kind of take this chart out and say, oh, this is probably you know, close to what it's referring to and maybe help you to understand the verse in its, in its context, the word in its context a l- little bit better. Um, but these are the first two aspects of the doctrine of humanity. We are created in the image of God. And we are created with physical and spiritual characteristics. So pretty significant. And there's a lot of mystery here and a lot of complexity because God did it. And, and we can't understand the ways of God. But we can say, wow, right? God, for you to conceive of this, to, to make humans and to make them like you made them. And, and for us to have this capacity to know you is just amazing. And so... Those are the first two aspects of the doctrine of humanity. Uh, Next week we'll get into what went wrong in the garden, the fall, and how that affects us all. But God had a plan to save us, and we're grateful for that. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.